Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 41, Lenore Skinazy, author of Free Range Kids and founder of LetGrow.org. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. Are you an overprotective mother? Do you allow your children to do age-appropriate things independently, despite the risks that might be involved? What is age-appropriate? As a society, we don't know anymore. Do you let the fear of some terrible thing happening, what my guest calls worst-first thinking, overcome you? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. I have Lenore Skenazy on the show, and I'm so excited. Lenore has been called America's worst mother. How about that? A title that propelled her to revolutionize parenting and create a much-needed cultural shift. Perhaps we need to get back to a place where we trust our kids to do and act independently, as opposed to treating them like porcelain figurines. Sounds like the way I grew up. In fact, Lenore claims that the world is much safer now than it was then. So what are we so afraid of? Lenore is the author of Free Range Kids, How to Raise Safe, Self-Reliant Children Without Going Nuts with Worry. She's a Discovery Life TV host and the creator of LetGrow.org. Lenore is a sought-after speaker and a leader on issues ranging from parenting in America to public policy. If you haven't read Lenore's book or blog, you will find this interview extremely eye-opening, and I invite you to find out more about how you can ease up on your parenting and help create the cultural shifts that we need in order to get our kids back to our neighborhood playgrounds and walking to their friends' houses, cooking dinner, yes, becoming independent, self-reliant human beings who do not need us to watch their every move. Here's Lenore Skenazy. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Well, thank you so much. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. You are a lot of things, Lenore. First of all, you're America's worst mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah number one. That's Numero uno, yeah. Title that got you to where you are today, thankfully. I mean, God knows parents across America needed you. You're the creator of the Free Range Kids movement. You're author, the author of Free Range Kids. You're a Discovery Life TV host. And through all these, you're writing, you're speaking, you've really become become a thought leader on issues ranging from parenting in American culture to public policy. You're basically basically revolutionizing parenting and as a result, really changing the world. <laughs> this is pretty great. Yeah, revolutionizing parenting. I love that. Also, at the time, uh, people should know that now, now I have a, a nonprofit called Let's Grow, which is, is trying to make the free-range kids idea into actual practical reality that really does change our culture. Amazing. Yes. And I do want to talk about Let Grow and how much you're um, helping teachers and incorporate things in the classroom and so on. But I want you to take to first you to take us back to 2008 when you were called American's worst mom after you let your nine year old son take the New York subway by himself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was That's an exciting introduction. Yes, indeed. So, um, so the, the deal is this, that, uh, back then, and literally 10 years ago, he's 19 now, 
uh, our son, our younger son, our oldest son hadn't asked for this. Our oldest son calls himself the control group. <laughs> our younger son started asking if we'd take him someplace he'd never been before and let him find his own way home via the subway. And this is something we had to discuss, my husband and I. And when we did, we thought it made sense. Uh, he knows this, you know, he speaks the language. <laughs> We're always on the subway. That's how we get around. Six million people take it every single day. And so I believe there's safety in numbers. So one sunny Sunday, I took him to Bloomingdale's and I left him in the handbag department after explaining that that was a day. It wasn't like he was looking around, where, Mom, where'd you go? It wasn't that. It was the day. Right. And um, and then he had to visit the, the purse department is right above the subway entrance and he figured out, I guess, because <laughs> I saw him again, um, to go downstairs and he took the subway down to 34th Street, which is the same street as the Miracle on 34th Street, and then he took a bus across town because he was across town. And when he came into the apartment, he was like, like levitating, basically, because he had done something that he, not only did he feel he was ready for, but we trusted him to do it. Yeah. So he got to be an adult, and we knew that he was growing up, and I didn't write about it immediately, because it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, it didn't seem like it was that big a deal, it was just something he wanted to do. But I'm a newspaper columnist, and I don't know, like a month or two later, when I had nothing to write about, I, I wrote about that. And um, and two days after I wrote Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone, I was on the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, and NPR, uh, defending myself. <laughs> and uh, that's when I realized that I am a free-range mom, and I, I started free-range kids that weekend as a blog to say, look, we're the, the, <laughs> the Jewish, I'm a Jewish mom, we have a reputation to uphold, we are we are nervous, we are worried. Um you know, that's how we're portrayed for a reason. Uh-huh. And so it's not like I, I, you know, am a daredevil mom or anything like that. It's just I, 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 I keep wondering about it. I feel like I'm not a particularly courageous person and I don't necessarily want my kids to do things like skateboard or snowboard or anything like that. But getting around town and trusting people and trusting my kids, that seems like just a normal thing to do. And that's why I've been shocked ever since at how um, how we backed off from the idea that our kids can do almost anything on their own. We don't believe that anymore. And it's a it's such an enormous cultural shift that I wake up every day ready to think about it again. Ten years. Why? Do, what happened, Lenore? I mean, how did we get yeah. to become a society that doesn't trust their kids anymore? What? 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 What happened in the last twenty years? You know, I'll, I'll look you through my my four or five points that I always make. But I have to say this: this morning I was writing um, a letter to a guy who's writing a column about letting his twelve-year-old take um, an airplane as an unaccompanied minor with nobody helping her. Okay. And he's nervous, but he's feeling like he can do it. And and I realized that the thing that's different about today is that to think that a 12-year-old can't look up at a sign that says you're going to LaGuardia, you have to go to gate G10, and then look at the numbers, which are really large, you know, G1, G2, G3, and figure out how to get to G10 or ask somebody if she's confused. That's, if, if you can't expect your kid to do that, it's almost like not expecting them to be human. <laughs> Any Anybody can do that, yes. <laughs> especially anybody who's grown up in, you know, in this era and is familiar with airplanes and airports, which I assume his kid is. And so how do we get to the point where we think that we have to be transporting them all the time, that we have to be with them? And, and it reminded me of, I, I gave a speech in Rochester years ago, uh-huh. but one of the comments there just stuck with me. And it was a mom raised her hand and she said, almost, you know, sort of hoping for affirmation, but worrying that she'll be, you know, blamed and shamed, that she had been at her local library recently and with her five-year-old daughter, and she wanted it 
she, the mom, wanted to check out a book upstairs. And so she said to the librarian, she said to the kid, first of all, do you want to come with me upstairs um, or do you want to wait here and, you know, look at a picture book right, keep- uh, while I go get my book? And and the kid said, I want to stay here. And so the mom, I thought, responsibly told the librarian, and it was only the librarian, this lady, and um, the kid who were going to be in the children's room, and she said, okay, I'm going to run upstairs and, and get my book. I'll be right back. And the librarian said to her, fine, but you should recognize that the dangers of the of the world do not stop at the library door. What? And so, I know. Thank you for thank you for that. <laughs> and and what's so interesting to me? So I wrote a little piece about that. And there were fourteen hundred comments, and most of them were, "How dare that mother leave that child? That poor innocent child. Anything could have happened." The library, even the librarian, was warning her. And first of all, it assumes that the librarian is going to do something horrible in three minutes. Uh, it assumes that maybe somebody's outside watching the library for, for years, decades on end, with split-second timing, hoping that someday somebody would leave a kid in the library and they could, like, chloroform the librarian and get to the kid in the three minutes it takes out to, take to check out your next Michael Lewis book. Um, but what, what really killed me is that people kept writing the equivalent of, you wouldn't leave a million dollars on the table. Why would you leave your daughter, who is clearly more precious? And it's like, I agree. Children are clearly more precious than a million dollars. That's pretty obvious. But a million dollars is something that everybody wants and they can slip in their pocket and, and it's inert. And we forget that children are people. And first of all, most kids, people don't want your kid. But secondly, you know, the kid would say, go away or, or spit on them or kick them. And, and there's this, there's this new way of looking at children as if they are possessions and sort of like, you know, figurines of children that you have to transport and you have to take care of. And you can't expect them to do anything on their own because they're not people. They're figurines. They're valuable figurines. And that's the thing that's just puzzling me the most lately. How did we go from kids who would help out on the farm or help you make dinner or make, you know, set the table to kids who are not expected to do anything except be transported by us to places they're supposed to be where they will be supervised by some other adult who acts as a guard. We're hurting them along the way because it's part of normal development to allow people to to let go, to have their independence, to learn through their own mistakes, to fall and trip, to mm-hmm. figure out how to handle an airport when you're 12. It's, you know, it's not that, it's not rocket science, <laughs> you know. It's not. It's not, it's not even it's not even the being the pilot. You're just going as a passenger. So it, it's insulting to the kid and it's enslaving to the parents because you've been turned up from somebody raising somebody who's gonna be competent or at least can have increasing competency right. to your your brink scarred. And you know, you better be with them all the time or else it's gonna be stolen. I mean that's really it's a perfect analogy. You must watch them all the time or they will be stolen. It is something valuable that will be stolen from you. And that's why we get these these weird things like like one of my one of the stories that I still puzzle over was my my neighbor was had been at, at Costco and she was there with her own little kids and some lady behind her said, Would you watch my son for a second? You know, she had to go get something that she forgot. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor agreed to do this as would anybody because we are nice people for the most part. But she said, what a crazy mom. I could have taken her kids. And I'm like, it's not crazy to trust another mom with two children and a, and a giant cart full of, you know, jumbo sized ragu spaghetti sauce waiting in line at Costco to also watch your own kid for a few minutes. But if you think of every, you know, if, if, if your kid is this diamond that's about to be stolen at every moment, I guess it is dangerous to trust anybody anytime except yourself. And so that's 
that means that we are always driving our kids. We are always watching our kids. We can't drop them off at soccer. We have to watch from the, the, the stands because, first of all, they have to know we're there, and then the coach has to know we're there, so they don't try anything. And it just becomes um, a real full-time job. And, and I think of this helicopter parenting mandate as a sort of backdoor to keeping women down. Nobody says, you can't work or, you know, don't take on that extra project. You're a woman. They say, you know, well, if you do that, who's going to be with the kids? You know, what are you going to do? You don't want your kid alone. You don't want to let your kid. You don't want to leave. And so suddenly all your free time is taken supervising kids. And if you remember your own childhood, you didn't want to be supervised 24-7. Nobody likes being micromanaged. And yet we're saying that kids need to do this and we need to do it for the kids. And so everybody's losing. Thing. Everybody's losing. And honestly, I don't want to be supervising my four kids all the time. They're pretty good on their own. They play together and take care of each other. <laughs> and it works right. for me because it gives me my sanity back. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I mean, you know, people, Jennifer Senior wrote that book, All Joy and No Fun. You know, you're, you're joyous that you have your children, but no fun. It's, there are, you know, believe it or not, there are cultures around the world where parents, if a parent, if they saw parents, on the ground, you know, playing Barbies or rolling the ball or, you know, doing flashcards with their kids, they would go like, why is the parent on the ground? <laughs> this is strange. It's like, you know, it's like having your dog sit at the dinner table and eat off the table. It's something that doesn't happen. <laughs> why is the parent on the ground acting like a child? Because not everybody thinks that the only way to stimulate a child is by having a loving adult dote on them 24-7 and make everything into a quote-unquote teachable moment. Right, right, right. And is there also a lot, does this have a lot to do with the media and the proliferation of information and how much we hear about yeah. these rare <laughs> cases of, you know, abduction? Just Yes, 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 completely. I mean... If we're going to just look through the, the four or five reasons that I think we are so much more afraid than our parents were uh -huh. um, for us, you know, our parents who generally let us walk to school at least or play outside a little, the first would be the media because the media loves nothing more than the tale of stranger danger, you know, an abduction. And these are so rare that some people still remember the story of Maddie McCann, who was the little girl taken from her hotel room in Portugal. Remember that story? I she was don't. her parents were doctors. You, you do or don't? I don't. I don't. Oh, okay. Maybe that's good. That's, good. that's probably Anyways, good. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a big story at the time, and it, it, um, the girl was British. Anyway, the point is that we went and covered that story from America when we wouldn't cover anything else in Portugal and possibly Europe. I mean, yeah. you know, America is not usually thinking beyond its borders that much. <laughs> but when there was one story of one white, upper-middle-class girl, English-speaking girl, taken from a hotel room in Portugal, suddenly we had all our camera crews going over there because it's such a rare crime, and yet it's so valuable to the media that they are willing to, you know, go over and cover it. So it's it's like gold, right? It's it's a rare um a rare thing that pays uh you know just pays out a lot in eyeballs because we watch that story and that's what the media wants. So somebody once said to me that the media is not there to inform, the media is there to make money. Okay. And if they know the story, you know, what story makes the most money? The story that people will watch the most intently. And uh, an abduction by a stranger of an innocent child, preferably white, preferably upper middle class, is one that does um, get our attention. And so the media find it and they, they, they just keep shoving it down our throats. And then they repeat it on all the, you know, law and orders and CSIs and all the scary shows that they can because you want to go for the jugular and, and that's it. So 
the media has made us more afraid. And um, and I'll just the other three reasons are we live in a litigious society. When we live in a litigious society, you start thinking like lawyers. Lawyers imagine how anything bad could happen and how they could sue in court and prove that somebody was negligent. And we start thinking about all the things that are dangerous and all the ways that we could be blamed. And it paralyzes us with fear. You know, everything starts looking like a lawsuit in the making. And a lawsuit in the making means that something terrible happens. So we're always getting used to what I call worst first thinking, thinking up the worst case scenario first. A kid could fall off that swing and proceeding as if it's likely to happen. And in fact, swings have been banned from the playgrounds in Richmond, Washington, and also Spectan, Washington, because somebody started thinking about them a little too hard and realized, oh my God, we can't have swings. A child could get hurt. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah, I am serious. Yeah, yeah. And and also, I don't know about Israel, but, um, or Latin America, but in in the United States, it's hard to find a playground that has a merry-go-round now or a regular old teeter-totter. And I think that all has to do with litigiousness as well. Wow. So, um, actually, God, I was interviewing somebody yesterday about um, recess. And I'd asked on, on Facebook, has anybody had recess taken away? And this one mom wrote back, yes, my son had recess taken away. So I started talking to her and she said, and it's not like recess is so great to begin with. I said, well, explain it to me. She said, well, the kids are on a playground with one play structure, but they're not allowed to run on it and they're not allowed to jump off it and they're not allowed to play tag and they're not allowed to play any chasing games and they what can't play Red Rover. So, so she said that her son said that all they did at recess was they would sit under the play structure, the boys with the girls, and play restaurants. Oh, good. <laughs> that was it. And I have, I have a sad, uh, a sad, uh, a codicil to that story, which is that she said then one day, uh, and there was one tree on the playground and they chopped it down because they were worried that children were going to climb it. So the day they were chopping down the tree, believe it or not, they let the kids go play on the blacktop, um, which was forbidden territory uh, on any other recess day. And that's the day they gave kids balls and jump ropes, which were otherwise forbidden. And she said her kid got in the car that day and said, Mom, you won't believe it today. It was so fun at recess. We had balls and we got to throw them and we had jump ropes and it was so great. And that was the one day that they, that they could play with balls at recess. So it's, a, it's just, I don't know if that's litigiousness or not. The mom sort of thought it was. But in any event, it's, it's a weird way of looking at childhood and thinking, oh, they could get hurt. Let's just take all opportunities for anything bad to happen out of their lives and we'll keep them safe. And that's really our only goal. Wild, right? It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah. Actually, as a reporter, I really love that story. <laughs> it sort of summed up what I wanted to write. Um, so anyway, so there's the, so there's the media, there's the litigiousness of society, there's that we live in an expert culture. Experts are always telling you you're doing it wrong, uh-huh. you're feeding them the wrong food, you're not saying enough words, you missed what, you know, like the neuroscience tells us that you have to rock them for three and a half minutes every ten, you know, whatever it is. It, yes. It becomes this laundry list of things that you're supposed to do and not do um, to goose your child's uh, genius potential and also keep them safe from the smallest scratch. And then we also live in a in a capitalist culture, which I'm happy about, but the easiest way to get any money from anyone is to tell a parent that their kid is in danger and that you have a way to keep them safe. And so now there are apps that do everything from, you know, when your healthy newborn is in a crib, it reads out, there's a little device you can put on your kid and it reads out their, their temperature and their movement level and also their blood oxygen level, which, wow. <laughs> what's your blood oxygen level while we're at it? 
Wow. Okay. You don't know, right? Right. No, I have no idea. And it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm breathing, right? And actually, they, they changed their website, which is too bad, because originally their website had the most egregious sentence I've ever read, which was, just because your little one's chest is moving up and down doesn't mean they're getting enough oxygen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. oh I so, so it is appalling. And what's interesting to me is that if you can scare parents to the point where even as they're looking at their healthy baby in a crib, breathing and sleeping peacefully, and you can say, even that is not enough evidence that your child is fine. You know, they're in an enclosed place, you're watching them, they're breathing, that's not safe enough. That's how we get our culture. We've been told that literally nothing is safe enough for our kids unless we do something, buy something, read something, get something, enroll them in something, watch something, you know, uh, measure something that nobody in the history of the world has ever considered important before. You know, we've, we've atrophied our ability to trust our intuition as parents, right? Correct. We, we, yeah. we have a parent, we have an innate intuition as to what is age appropriate for our children, what, it, what it's right when they look healthy, when they're, we, 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 there's, there's so much of our inner voice that, that can guide us, but we've, we've just learned to bypass that completely. Right, right, right. It's like been cauterized. And, and sometimes people say, so all I'm, it's a little, or all you're saying is that, uh, let grow equals common sense. And I'm like, it's hard to talk about common sense when we're growing up in a culture that has taken away swings and told us to measure our children's blood oxygen level and says that if you leave your child for three minutes in a public place with another adult, they're not safe. I mean, it's very hard to have quote unquote common sense. Common sense comes from a culture. And, uh, you know, what we really have to do and what, you know, what I'm trying to do now is renormalize getting kids some independence so that we can get our common sense back. Because I'm sure you realize, I'm sure you see with your own eyes that, hey, my kids can run an errand. Hey, my kid can play outside for half an hour without me playing with them. Hey, my kid can, you know, can can do something. My kid got lost on the way home and then found her way home. Until you see those with your own eyes, all you have is the opposite, you know. To, to, to grow you and your confidence as a parent, all you have is, you know, girl snatched from bus stop and, um, you know, child found dead and look at this horrible story and people hectoring you on Facebook. So common sense is not only innate. It's partially created by by your culture and if your culture is only creating fear it's really hard to have what I would call what you're calling common sense mm, I see I see so what can parents and, and, and teachers be doing better um, to, to do this shift because I mean the, yeah. the school that you gave me the example like I would not want my child in such a school <laughs> no I know I know actually the mom I thought she took her kid out but you know if you can't you don't have the money or the time to homeschool which is what she's doing then you're stuck, right? So what? What? Um, so Lepro is trying to do two things in the schools and one thing in community. Okay. In schools, we're, we're trying to get schools to do something. I'm calling it after school free play. That's what it is. It's after school free play. We believe that you know kids really learn a lot when they're playing with each other. I mean, you talk about a teachable moment. They have to learn to get along. They have to focus. They have to be creative. They have to decide if the ball is in or out. That's compromise. It's social skills. Who's getting on the team? How you can make them equal enough. All that stuff 
kicks in, all those social skills that we want our kids to have kick in when they're playing, but they they don't kick in when they're playing Little League or something that's supervised by adults because adults decide all those things. Mm. So for kids to get any experience almost negotiating with their peers yes. and being, you know, and having fun and learning how to make things happen and pivoting, as they say in Silicon Valley, you know, like, kick ball is great, but we just kicked the ball into the, you know, neighbor's yard, we can't get it. So what are you going to do now? So if you give kids, I want kids to have free play, but I worry that when they come home, if they're like my kids, they look outside, there's no kids outside. And so they don't go outside and they end up on electronics or they did. Now they're older. But, um, so if you, if you have after school free play, it's, it's not running around in the woods, which is a little sad, but it is making up their own games and, uh, solving their own disputes. So long as you have, uh, the teacher or whoever is supervising acting sort of like a lifeguard as opposed to a coach. Right. So, and, and the best thing about after school free play is that there's this critical mass of kids because they're at school and they have time and the parents know they're someplace safe. And so it's like win, 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 win. And, and if you give them three hours after school, maybe a day a week, two days a week, all five days a week, you can find your kid up. Well, then they have a little bit of an old fashioned childhood, albeit on the playground as opposed to in the woods or, or down the, you know, in the cul-de-sac. So trying to get schools to do after school free play is um, sort of an easy win for renormalizing childhood. Uh, the other program that we're starting in school, we have seven schools doing, actually eight as of next week, schools doing is something called the Let's Grow Project. And it is, it's free. It takes no class time. It's so simple. Um, what it is, is the teachers tell the kids, okay, today I want you to go home and ask your parents if you can do something that you feel you're ready to do that for one reason or another you haven't, just haven't done yet. And it can be walk the dog, make dinner, rake the leaves, something, something that kids know that their parents were doing at their age. And because it's recommended by the school and because it's a one-shot deal and because all the other kids and parents in the class or the school are doing it, parents usually say yes. I mean, it's not mandatory, but they usually do. And then when the kid comes home with the bread that they got from the store, you know, or they make dinner, you know, they make spaghetti and they actually boil the spaghetti and they, they serve it, the parents are so outrageously proud that it changes them as much as when they see their kids start toddling after crawling. <laughs> You know, it's like your heart leaps up and you can't believe it. And you don't say after you've seen them take those first steps for you, you know, but their arms are open wide. You know, say, that's so great. That's so great. That's so great. Now go back to crawling. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's just, it's a make or break moment for the parents. And when you see them write about this, you know, we've done some surveys. It's like, wow, I had no idea. Oh, my God, this is great. Now we're doing all sorts of other let grow projects. Now my kid is, you know, went to get his haircut by. Off. Now my kid is helping me with the dishes. Now my kid, now my kid. And in the, the schools that we just started this in Long Island, we started like two months ago, the seven schools were doing it. And when I went out to, to you know, witness it and actually make a little video, uh, the principal of one of the schools showed me a Facebook post by another lady who was bragging about the project that her kid was doing, the Let Grow Project. And I said, okay, great. And she said, no, you don't understand. This is not our school district. So what's happening is that parents from the school district doing the Let Grow Project are posting pictures bragging, you know, on Facebook, look, my kid did the dishes. Look, my kid read please. Look, my kid ran an errand. And the parents in the other school districts are saying, how come my kid isn't doing that? Nice. <laughs> so, so they, you know, they go in and demand it, I guess, of the, the local principal. And so that school has started doing it too. And I think that once we get a few more 
school doing this in different parts of the country or world, it's going to become a normal part of, of any school. I really think that in 10 years, we'll be talking again. You'll have, you know, millions upon millions of listeners, and I'll be retired. <laughs> and uh, we'll be saying, like, wow, if you ever think the Lecter Oak Project will become like this? And I'll say, yes, it just took 10 years. Because why wouldn't you do this? The kids end up proud and happy. The parents are proud and happy. You didn't waste any school time. It didn't take any time away from the curriculum. You end up with more competent and self-resourceful you know, kids who are willing to do things, some things on their own. And so that, to me, is, is such a, a slam dunk. And yet it is so far in these seven schools and then the one that, or two that copied them. I, I, I would really urge your listeners to go, you know, to lecro.org and click on the thing that says programs and under the thing that says programs it says Electro Project. And just try to get your school to do it because it's free, it's fast, and it, it changes so much. I, I love it. It's so important. And the truth is, Lenar, when, when they do these little things, like I send my, sometimes I will need a few things from the store. So I'll drive to the store and I'll give the money to my um, 11-year-old and my 9-year-old daughter and they'll go off on their mm-hmm. own inside and they just have to get four things. And they, you know, it's a small store, you know, it's in our, pretty much in our neighborhood. It, I'm mm-hmm. right out there on the fire line with my blinking lights, you know, like I'm right there. And there, it's uh-huh. they, they saved me the hassle of going with the other kids, the other younger kids, and they're so proud right. they can do it. They can actually get the stuff. Sometimes they don't know where it is. They have to ask somebody, and they come all proud and they tell me that they asked and that she he forgot to check the change and they gave him the change yeah. wrong and you know like all these little things right are so important right right they're part of the world kids always want to be part of the world why do you know that Tom Hanks movie big kids want to be big and we keep treating them like they are babies you know that they need to be held and carried and nothing to be expected of them and that it's insulting and it's that's why it's so exhilarating when the opposite happens when my parents finally trust me finally I got to take the subway finally I got to go get the ingredients for dinner it's not only great for them and it gets them used to being part of the world but sometimes when I give lectures if I have extra time I have people close their eyes and they have to think for like three minutes about somebody that made them feel terrible and they make you feel ugly or stupid unlovable blah 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 and I I hate that time because I don't like making people feel bad but it goes by and then I ask people okay open your eyes where did you feel that misery and you know that that jerk in your system and it's like oh I was heavy in my chest or I felt my stomach hurt or I had a you know my shoulder where, you know, I felt this, this weight on my shoulders. I said, okay, now it's the good part. Close your eyes and think of somebody who believed in you. Maybe before you believed in yourself, somebody who thought you can do it. You know, you're smart. You're going to knock them dead. Go, kid, go. Yeah. And so they think about it and they open their eyes and sometimes they're crying. I was when I first did it. I stole this idea from somebody else. And um, and then I say, okay, so, you know, it's so important, this person who believed in you. And some people say it was my, you know, it was my basketball coach. It was my uncle, grandma, you know, dad, whatever. I said, don't you want to be that person to your kid? <laughs> the one that they close their eyes and they see you because you believe in them? And everybody does. Yeah. do I. And it's like, well, you can't be if you're doing everything with your kid or for your kid because they get the message that you desperately love them, which is great, but they don't get the message that you trust them really? at all. Right? <laughs> right? And, and people say, like, it's not that I don't trust my kid. I don't trust the world. Well, you know, if you're not, it's the same thing. You have to trust your kid in the world. Yes. You have to, you know, you teach them across the road thing look both ways, don't get in the car with anybody, but you do have to gradually let them go for them, not only to become part of the world, but for them to see that you don't think that you're the only person, that that, that they have to be with you all the time to be okay, because that's not trusting them, that's trusting yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not trusting.
trusting. Yeah, that's trusting yourself. That's so, so true. Like, unless you want your kid forever sleeping in your own home. Speaking of believing in you, and this is a perfect segue to my question. Lenore, you took a very bold move. And I don't mean by letting your son take the subway at nine years old, but rather by coming full force with this. Like, what gave you the strength and the motivation to say, I don't care about the opposition. There is opposition and there will be opposition. This is for the greater good. And I'm being, I'm going to be the one who's going to go out there and communicate this to the world and, and just do it. What, what, what gives you the strength and motivation when it gets tough? You're, you're assuming um, much more valor on my part. Um, really, I, you know, I, what I really hate is, um, it's some strength. I, I don't like uh, prejudice. I don't like thinking the worst of people. I became a reporter because I just wanted to meet people all the time. And what I really came out about was not, you know, me and taking uh, the slings and arrows of opposition. I just wanted to say that I like strangers. I really like meeting people. I'm glad I'm on Earth. I'm glad there's all these other people around. I mean, I don't think I would become a reporter if I didn't like meeting other people. So the idea that other people automatically equal danger as opposed to other people automatically equal strength and numbers, a lot of people who are going to, you know, step in if something goes wrong. That was really my motivation, was just to say, let's not think the worst of people, uh, which turned out to be my agent is an Orthodox Jew, and she told me that's a, a Talmudic idea, which is that we are obligated to give people the benefit of the doubt. The doubt. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And so in my mind, if I had another name for whatever I'm doing, I would just call it the benefit of the doubt movement. Because to think of all strangers as out to get my kid and everybody is nefarious or so unconcerned that they wouldn't help a child in need is it's not only a bleak view of the world, it's a wrong view of the world and I think it's an un-Jewish view of the world. It's an un so, so that's it. I mean, I, I wasn't coming out saying I'm going to take on, you know, something gigantic when I when I wrote my piece. It's just that, like, I really trusted my son if he needed some help in the subway that other people would help him as opposed to hurt him. Right, and it's it's even it's 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 giving other people the benefit of the doubt, and it's be- also be- the Jewish concept of believing in the innate good and worthiness of other human beings in this world. <laughs> right, right, right. The world is a good place. Yes, there are. Yeah. things that are wrong with it and we're going to fix them but inherently right, right. we are good human beings alright Lenore let's just uh, wrap it up with a few Jewish um, questions that I always ask my guests and these are a few statements that are open ended and I let you finish them with whatever comes to mind okay Sure. Okay, I'm Lenora Skenazy, and I feel most spiritual when... Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I never feel spiritual. Yeah. I am so sorry. <laughs> I wish I did. I tried. I spent a year in Israel. I've taken Talmud classes. I go to Shul. I never feel one ounce of spirit ever. Uh, I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> I love the honesty, but it, because I just think it's so real, because it is so hard. We are physical human beings living in a physical world. That's the bottom line. Okay. Yep. <laughs> My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected to? Oh, my favorite mitzvah. Well, uh, you know, we like the candles on Friday night. Oh, nice. And I like that. Do I feel that connected to it? I didn't grow up even lighting candles. So oh. it feels a little added on for me, but I like doing it. And I like the fact that my kids grew up with the candles being lit. So for them, it's yeah. the norm. Oh. As opposed to me, it was a, look how Jewish I am. No, that's beautiful. How did you even think? Was it after your boys were born that you decided to adopt this custom? No, actually, we were doing it before they were born. I guess, I don't know, maybe when I was married. My, my husband grew up... Um, 
become a little more religious than me. Uh, his grandpa was a rabbi, and so, I don't know, we just started doing it together, and then yeah, I'm just happy that my kids grew up doing that. Beautiful. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is... Oh, well, um, I guess it was taking my kids to Yom Kippur services one year. Talk, uh, the, the rabbi was this guy with a storytelling uh, uh-huh. here in New York. And it was just, uh, at some point, uh, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the gates of prayer were closing, yeah. uh, the, he was singing on his guitar. Uh, this makes me sound like such a hippie-dippy person, but he was singing, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, that's what we're doing. And that was like this glimmer of, maybe that was my spiritual moment. I am knocking on heaven's door. So that was a very sweet Jewish moment for me. That is so sweet. I love it. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Something I wish I'd learned about it. Um, I guess I didn't know much about Shabbat mm. growing up, and um, I'm such a, you know, a, a, a driven person often, and I feel so guilty if I'm not doing work, that it would have been nice to know that God gives you a free pass on Saturdays, yes. <laughs> so I didn't really realize that growing up, and, and now I'm happy to take Saturdays off. I like that, a free pass on Saturday. Oh, I love that. <laughs> right, right, right. Really like, like quit hacking yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. When I give tzedakah charity, I like to give to? Oh, um, strangely enough, this will show everybody else. I like to give to um, things that help keep people out of prison, and I particularly feel um, that the sex offender registry treats people as if they become unhuman once they're on it, and I feel like as a Jew, I know sort of what it means to be considered the other and absolutely unworthy of any kind of humanity anymore, and so that's a, an issue that interests me a lot. Um, I'm not in favor of child or anything like that, but everybody else who has served their time for a crime, even murderers, when they're out, they're not on the registry, and um, sex offenders are. The, the, the assumption is that it's because they're you know, incorrigible rapists, but very, very few of them are. The recidivism rate is very, very low. And yet they have to keep having this stigma on them. Uh, and in some states, you can never get off the registry. And, and now you're going to have, um, it's the first time we're going to mark people's passport is um, the, the passports of anyone convicted of a sex offense are going to have that written on their passport. And um, so... That sort of resonates with me almost because I'm a Jew and I recognize what it means to be labeled as something heinous and horrible that should always be shamed and and um, and also officially shamed. So weirdly enough, I give to um, organizations that are trying to make more rational sex offender laws that that will keep children safe without um, leaving no redemption for um, people who have committed offenses. I feel like eventually we're going to have to sit down and have a whole conversation about this. There's so much here, Lenora. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a weird message to end on, and, but you ask where do I get my money? That's lately the one that I give to. No, I, I think there's a lot here, and I, I think we're going to have to explore at some point because I feel like eventually you'll be involved in, in that. So, anyway, finally, I'm Lenore Skenazy, and today I'm most grateful for. Oh, I'm grateful for, um, like, I, I think it's luck, but my family, past, present, um, I, I feel grateful, strangely enough, for growing up Jewish, I feel like it was um, just lucky. It just gave me this perspective that I um, feel like I see through Jewish eyes all the time. And not that that makes me better, but it's, 
I feel like it's given me a certain sensitivity and curiosity that I am very grateful for. Yes, yes, beautiful. Lenore, thank you so much for your time. Everybody, the website is letgo.org. I really encourage everybody to visit it and um, see in what ways you could get your schools involved. And Lenore has a ton of information there you can learn a lot about. And thank you so much for your time, Lenore. Oh, thank you. And, and off the record, one second, just make sure that it sounds like let grow and not let go. Because when I just heard you, it sounded like let go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and everybody yes. thinks let go oh, because yeah, of yes. frozen. <laughs> no, we don't want to <laughs> let go. We, la- we want to let them grow. <laughs> let grow. And originally, we were going to call it let go and let grow. And then we realized people who are afraid to let go are who we're aiming at. So to say let go doesn't get anybody on board because it sounds like forget it. But everybody wants their kids to grow. So let yes, grow. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I hope... Ten years down the line, we're actually sitting down and discussing discussing all the positive changes that resulted from your work, and we'll be falling apart. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Yeah, that would be really cool. That would be amazing, (laughs) Lenora. Thank you so much. Have a happy Hanukkah, and thank you so much. Okay, you too. Tadaraba. Thank you. Thanks to Lenore's Kanazi for stopping by. Her website, again, is letgrow.org. It used to be freerangekids.com. And her book is Free Range Kids, How to Raise Safe, Self-Reliant Children Without Going Nuts with Worry. Lenore is on Twitter at freerangekids. It's my oldest son's birthday this week, so mazel tov to him turning 12. How apropos to today's interview. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode... Please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.